and welcome to the Black and White Podcast, where we seek to filter the gray world around us through God's Word with radical grace, raw truth, and real hope. I'm Denise Pass, and I'm back here today with Dr. Lane Cohey, the author of the book, The Disquieted Soul. Lane serves as an associate professor of management at Palm Beach Atlantic University's Rinker School of Business. With over 30 years in the defense and aerospace sector, Lane has also taught over 50 courses in the areas of leadership, parenting, theology, apologetics, church history, and financial management. Lane and his wife, Cheryl, were married in 1987 and currently reside in Indy Atlantic, Florida. They have three adult sons, Chase, Kale, and Chain. Welcome back, Lane. Thanks, Denise. I'm glad to be back. Well, it is a joy, and I'm loving our discussion. This month, we are discussing how to find peace. Do any of y'all need peace out there? I know you do. And gratitude in the chaotic world. And we're using Lane's book, The Disquieted Soul, Paths of Discovery and Deliverance, as our guide. Last week, we examined the importance of the discovery of disquiet in our lives. Without recognizing our discontent, and the inward struggle for peace, we cannot find this elusive peace we yearn for. And we'll continue to try and fill our void with counterfeit means that only leave us feeling emptier than ever. So this week, hallelujah, we're moving on toward deliverance because God (laughs) never reveals our needs to condemn us, but to set us free. The scripture for this episode is taken from Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, Just hearing that he is humble in heart just blesses my heart this morning. Our God chose humility. Our God has come and drawn us near to him. He's holy and we are so not holy. And he's saying, come. You know, this is a stumbling block for us, I think, because we make everything so complicated. God says his yoke is easy. Why do you think we miss this rest? Um, Well, I think maybe a couple of things. And and I was just having a a conversation with a colleague on this. Um, First of all, uh, and I point this out in one of the earlier chapters when I talk about drivenness and people who are natural achievers and people who, you know, strive. And I use the, I say, I say that when we, the driven hear words like peace and joy and contentment, and I'll put rest in there, they sound fluffy and weak, like stuff for the old folks homes. You know, they're alien concepts. They're, you know, rest almost seems weak in our culture. And so one is changing our framework in, in, in accepting that rest is a good thing. Mm. Um, and, and that's not always something that we who are, you know, running, running, running as fast as we possibly can, um, oftentimes from our own happiness, unhappiness naturally get. Um, and the second thing is, is that I think we still have this tendency, uh, as much as we may talk about grace, we may still have this tendency to feel like, man, if we're not, if we're not pushing, if we're not striving, if we're not, you know, and there's a right striving because Paul certainly talks about that, but then, then we're just not doing enough. And it just doesn't seem like, you know, you just feel very uneasy with the idea of rest. I don't know how it is for you, but that's the way it's been for me. 
Oh, yeah. When you say rest is a good thing. So <laughs> I, I remember just growing up feeling like you are lazy if you sit on the couch. Exactly. You know, and um, I had someone about a year ago tell me, Denise, you are a driver. I'm like, I am. <laughs> see, we're just oblivious you to it. <laughs> don't even see it, right? right? No. It's so natural. But uh, this this year in particular, the Lord just really grabbed a hold of my heart how important that Sabbath day of rest is. You know, I used to think, okay, well, I'm sort of resting, you know, um, I'm not doing my normal speed. And, you know, it's a command, you know, and it's like not just a suggestion. I mean, and he, he wants us to take that rest. He knows we need it. And it's so true that we can just feel like that is, um, we just feel a guilt complex for it. Right. You know, Lane, you asked uh, an intriguing question at the beginning of your second half of your book. If Jesus is the answer, what is the question? So what is the question, Lane, and why is applying the answer so hard? Well, I, I think th that question, that one has been around for a long time, and lots of people have tried to answer it different ways. But in my context for my book, I simply ask the question, does Jesus, who is called the Christ, actually provide a path of deliverance for our disquieted souls? And if mm. so, how? If so, how? And that's, that's, that's the question, for at least the, the variant of the question for this book. Mm. You discussed the significance of our identity, and we hit on that a little bit in our last episode. You know, but as it relates to the disquiet of our soul, you mentioned three basic changes of thought that are needed to help us grasp our true identity and to be set free from disquiet. Can you elaborate on this? Sure. Um, there's three questions uh, or changes of thought that I encourage. The first one is change the voice you hear. Mm. And uh, that's actually the byline of the book entirely. Change the voice you hear. Because our natural tendency is to listen to wrong voices. And we talked about that last week a bit. Um, you know, we, we will listen to voices of the, you know, our, our culture, our environment, our own voices, our enemies' voices, the accusers' voices. You know, it, it is as one person said, if there's one voice of criticism in the room, that's the one voice I hear. You know, there could be 99 voices of praise, but I'm going to hear the one critique. So actively changing the voice that we hear, not listening to our own voice, but listening to God's, not listening to what we even say about ourselves, but listening to God. The second one is, is change your identity source. Who defines who you are? And usually, you know, the way in which we ask this question when we talk about identity is, you know, who am I? That's the question we normally ask, you know, and can do the board identity and all those, you know, fun things. People have a lot of fun with the who am I thing. And that's not a bad question to ask, but I suggest in the book, a better question is who does God say I am? Mm. Who does God say I am? So I spent a bit of time really trying to unpack who God says we are in Christ, who God says we are in Christ. And then the second, the last one is change how you meet your identity needs. And we talked about identity needs kind of at the end of last week. We need to feel meaningful. We need to feel worthwhile. We need to feel safe. We need to feel powerful. We need to feel valued, esteemed, and loved. But those identity needs, as we said last week, we often try to meet, you know, through all the wrong means. And so I'm suggesting we have to be very intentional about changing the way in which we seek to get those needs met at a very deep level. 
That's so true. I think identity is one of those um, almost Christian buzzwords today that we hear, but a lot of people don't really understand what it means. Right. You know, um, can you unpack identity for us? Sure. Well, I mean, the way that I, the term I actually use is our sense of self, mm. who we, uh, you know, obviously we're going to ask, who am I? That's, that's a natural question. Um, I have suggested that, that um, there's a phrase that uh, we find in Exodus and it carries forward, which is, uh, I know you by name, God says to Moses. And I pick on that a little bit because I said, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean that God knows our name, obviously knows everything about us, but he knows us deeply, intimately, down to the core, everything, every thought, everything we don't know about ourselves. And I think the scripture shows us clearly that in Christ, he delights in us, mm. delights in us. And when I, when I take, when I talk about these identity needs and, you know, getting through uh, the challenges that we have with regard to identity needs, what I try to do is I try to walk us through, you know, you have meaning because God made you a new creation. You have worth because God paid everything to redeem you. You are safe mm. because God is your strong tower. You are powerful because God is the strength of your heart. You are valued because God delights and rejoices over you. You are highly esteemed because God created you for a unique purpose. And you are loved because God finds you altogether beautiful. And I give the citations in the scripture that I get that from. But the point is, is that it's all because God has done this on our behalf. And therefore, our very sense of self should change. Yes. Our very sense of, because, because in Christ, uh, I've argued that, you know, if Christ were somehow to go away, obviously impossible. If we, if we really believe who we are in Christ, our entire identity would, would not be the same. It couldn't be the same, you know, but we don't really see ourselves that way. We kind of see Christ still far away or distant. Mm. Yeah. He's our friend, but no, we don't have this unique union with him, you know, where we are in Christ, but Paul's letters alone use this term in Christ about 164 times. And in Christ isn't like being in a room. It's being organically united to Christ. And if we just sat and soaked in that a little bit and thought, you know, we're organically united spiritually with Christ, united with them, hmm. our entire sense of self is going to change. It has yes. to change. Yeah, I think, like you were saying, if we really believed our identity in Christ, we would live radically differently. But we stay focused on self, on the old man, that former self, instead of the new creation in Christ. And we get so fixated on labels, I think, too. Well, this is what I am because we define ourselves by our mistakes or by however the world defines us, but it's, it is that identity of Christ that he places on us. And I think um, that's what is so hard is we, we still remain in that old man way of thinking. Right. But, you know, another thing you talk about is discipline. Um, you know, in my church, we recently read and studied the book by Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. And this sounds like an oxymoron of sorts. You know, this discipline <laughs> is not something we usually think about celebrating, right? Exactly. Uh, 
But discipline helps us to be set free from our demanding flesh that seeks to rule us. So how has discipline helped you in your quest to quell the disquieted soul? Well, it's it's a great question. And, um, you know, discipline doesn't naturally seem like it would be something we would want to celebrate. I actually use a little bit of Foster's work in an appendix that I write on Christian meditation. Mm. But um, the reason why it's so critical is we're having a really good conversation right now where both of us are really aligned and, and, and we're feeling, both of us are feeling the spirit's presence and mm. a confidence in who we are. But an hour from now, you know, when we're doing whatever we're doing, um, our thoughts may go in a totally different direction. Our ruminations, what we're mentally chewing on, you know, might be all the old dredged up junk. And so discipline is this constant process of reforming or renewing or transforming, as the Bible says, not conforming, but transforming our minds and our thought life, in this case, and our hearts to that which is above and not which that which is below. And the reason I camp out on Christian meditation, which Foster has as one of his disciplines, is because it's essentially lost in within Christianity for the most part, because we associate meditation with Eastern you know, religions. And yet we don't realize the heritage of meditation that's gone through you know, millennia of Christian existence. And we really miss the ability to cleanse the palates of our souls and experience the rest that we talked about earlier when we delve deeply into meditating on God's word and his work and his ways. And we just, I think it's a, it's a means of grace that we totally missed as a culture uh, within, within the church. Mm. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And I think too, you know, it's, it's almost one of those, some of these words like we're using, you know, discipline, it's one of those words that's kind of lost in our culture right now. It just seems almost like a dirty word, you know, right, now, I, right. I want the freedom to do whatever I want to do. Right. That's not freedom at all. Right. I, I think another key word is trust that helps to restore our peace. We have to trust God that he is good and sovereign over all of our circumstances. This means when hard times come, we know he will redeem those places of pain and that none of it is wasted. We're not just saying that in a religious way. We know his character. And we can let go of anxiety and stress because Father does know best. How can people come to this place of trust when it seems like the world is just crazy and chaotic around us? Yeah, I, I think... So if we just look at, you know, how do I deal with anxiety, for example, and you Google, how do I deal with anxiety, you know, from a Christian perspective, the very first thing that you're going to, that's going to pop up is the word trust. Well, we need to trust God more. Well, mm. that's easy to say. Yeah. Um, hard for disquieted souls to do. <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, because let's go back to what we originally were driven by in the first place. What I suggested last week was, Threats of pain and shame, fears, things that we think are going to get us, things that, you know, just stir up anxieties within us is the catalyst. And so there's two things that we have to get our minds around. First of all, who is God? Who, not only who are we, um, 
but who is God? Who is the God of the circumstances? And I use the term, we have to reframe our reality about God and about our circumstances. Um, Mm -hmm. In Psalm 73, for example, the psalmist comes out in the beginning and he just says, life is unfair. Look, all of these bad people, all of these wonderful things are happening to these bad people. They have a long life, they have money, they have this and that, not one care in the world and the righteous just suffer. And only the good die young and blah, blah, blah. And there's kind of this forlorn, just sadness about the upside downness. And then he enters into the, you know, into the sanctuary of the, of, the, mm. of the Lord and sees reality for what it is. And it's like so many times we don't see through spiritual lenses. We don't remember to remember the last time we went through the difficult circumstance when God took us through it. And we forget that God knows what he's doing. You know, it's, it's just so hard for us to believe that God really knows better than we do what the outcomes of life should be. But unless we reframe our reality, we're not going to really have a chance at trusting God. And then the last part of it, and we can talk more about this if you like, is we have to be willing to, as some people have said, be vulnerable, as I say, to experience pain. Mm-hmm. We have to realize that Jesus came into the world in pain, lived a life of pain, died a death of pain for the joy set before him. And yet there's this paradox of pain. Not only did he go before us, he goes with us. And the paradox of pain is when we are actually willing to enter into it, knowing that God has it for our are good, even if even if it is difficult, we can find peace in the one who went there first and yes. who goes there again with us. And we can find a gateway into communion with the one who wears our wounds and heals our souls. And this is just such a counterintuitive truth that I think we don't believe it. But yes. when we do express it, the communion is inexpressible and it's mm. true. Yeah, I was just thinking about that, that a lot of times people can say those things. Hey, God is good. He's going to use it for my good and his glory. But believing that, you know, and I like how you were saying just to to actually say it, you know, um, we can ask God to help us in our unbelief as as well. Um, And I think this thought of life being unfair, you know, we think we deserve something different. I love the fact that you quoted Psalm 73. That's one of my favorites. Because it is such a vivid reminder that, I mean, here's David, you know, uh, really, if anyone ever has felt entitled, like we deserve something better, <laughs> we can just look and see how far we fall short of what God has said and realize that we don't. But we, we tend to glorify self. And I really like how you say, be willing to experience pain. I think what happens is we let pain harden our hearts. You know, that's our defense mechanism. We don't, we don't know how to handle it. We let it harden us instead of, you know, facing that pain. One of my daughters, and we were talking about depression earlier, the pain of emotional pain, physical pain, whatever pain it is you're going through, you know, we couldn't, she couldn't overcome it. And it was a six year long fight Uh, where she was really fighting it, where she was finally willing to face it. You know, instead of like, "Mm, just, I don't understand, why would God allow this? And 
you know, she looked at square in the eye and she told depression where to go, you know, and she looked at God's word and she overcame huge. She now knows how to have that joy in the Lord, but it's a battle and the battle's the Lord's ultimately, but we do have to fight. Our faith is a fight. And so I think part of this reframing our reality is that life is not easy. Jesus promised us troubles in this world, but he also promised us that he overcame them all. And so as we reframe this reality, there is the very real presence of pain. We don't have to let it harden us. We can actually let God be glorified even in the middle of that. And the world around us will see that, wow, look, look how God is evident in their life, even when they're going through these hard things. Lane, you also discussed quieting our souls with thought patterns. And I know that meditation, Christian meditation, is definitely something that is on the rise again, which is a beautiful thing. But can you explain this process? Toward the end of the book, I actually talk about, I I have a couple of engineering degrees, so I can't help myself. I have to draw some diagrams. (laughs) And I, I talk about circuit training, spiritual circuit training. And, and I borrow a little bit because Paul talks about, you know, uh, spiritual discipline in, in, you know, physical, like physical training. But I, I have this um, the circuit training map that basically says that we should kind of constantly be coaching ourselves to do these things. First, stop and think, what am I dwelling on? When we have all of this junk going in, you know, when we're listening to just the wrong radio station, so to speak, mm. you know, we need to stop and think, what am I listening to? What am I dwelling on? Where am I camping out? And a lot of times we don't even ask ourselves that question, but then we ask, whose voice am I hearing? Is it the voice of accusation? Is it a voice of somebody from 20 years ago? Is it my own voice? Is it the voice of my accuser? Is it the voice of God? And if it's not the voice of God, we need to be adjusting, praying to God, you know, give me your voice. Let me hear your truth. Is what is God's truth about me? Um, who does he say I am? And about my circumstances. And the circumstances might not be the best. You know, um, It still might be that we have the cancer. It still might be that we're going to lose our job. It still might be that we're unemployed and discouraged or we can't sell our house or whatever. But that reframing process is when we ask God, give us the reality, give us the, the spiritual vision to see the, the at least the picture through your eyes enough to be able to reframe what mm. we just talked about. The other thing is remember, remember that he knows what he's doing. You, you use the term that father knows best. And we just so easy for us to forget. We don't remember to remember. And that's a spiritual discipline of remembering to remember, just constantly reflecting on God's goodness you know, through all of the chasms of life, because it's much easier to see it through the rearview mirror than it is when it's right in front of us. And then the last one, of course, is trust. And it's trust that there's purpose. There's purpose, even if it's painful, there's purpose in the pain. And he is with Mm -hmm. me. He didn't just go before me. We used to, we like to say Jesus went before us. That's true, 100% true. You know, that he he, uh, empathizes or sympathizes with our weakness. That's 100% true but he's actually journeying with us through it. And sometimes we lose sight of that as well. Oh, yes. The sweet promise of God with us, Mm. always with us. Is there anything else you would like to leave with our listeners? 
Well, I, I would say um, two things that um, uh, other than uh, encouraging, you know, looking at the book and, and hopefully finding value in the book. And um, I, I would say two things that I would like to add if I were to write it a year later. And that is, I would like to add a little bit more with regard to taking seriously the spiritual battle in it all. You know, I talk mm. about voices and I talk about the accuser and I probably didn't do enough of that in the book. I, I, you know, Cheryl and I have been really convicted that we need to be much more serious about recognizing the spiritual element of it. And the second thing that I would, I would say is, and maybe should have added a chapter is the community aspect of it. This tends to be a book that's written very much as our personal journey, which of course it is, but we weren't meant to do this journey alone. We were mm -hmm. meant to do it with those believing family members, friends, community, faith, you know, communities of faith, churches. And, 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 and I probably would like to say that those two things are very, very important in this experience. And, you know, I can't continue to emphasize enough how much I believe disquiet really has its roots in shame and pride. Um, mm. We didn't talk as much about pride, but they're such, they're actually so closely connected that um, anybody who is really struggling in this area, I would just encourage to really unpack um, shame and pride, maybe with your book, um, you know, Soul Shame by Kurt Thompson, others who have written on this from a Christian perspective, just really um, do some speed work in this area. And I think it'll, it'll, it'll uncover some amazing things as both you and I have experienced. Yes, you know, Proverbs 11, 2, I think it is, uh, talks about how um, with shame comes pride. Mm. With humility comes wisdom. And I do think you're right that people are not aware they're in a battle, a spiritual battle right. all around them. And because of that, we're easily defeated. Yep. You know, things just happen to us like we have no control over it. But when we see things through spiritual eyes, reform our reality, as you say, then we can recognize those things and we can go to God's word for our, our gear to fight this battle. Yep, yep, our spiritual armor. Yes. So good. Lane, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your book. Well, thank you, Denise. It's been a great pleasure and, um, and, and I hope it's a blessing to your, you and your listeners. Thank you. So leave a comment to be entered to receive a free copy of Lane's book, The Disquieted Soul. To find out more about Lane, visit his website, www.disquietedsoul.com. The raw truth is that no one can rob us of peace except ourselves. We have a choice. The radical grace is God reveals our disquiet to bring us to a higher freedom. And the real hope is, no matter what our circumstances, we can rise above them and have peace through Christ. You've been listening to the Black and White Podcast, where we filter life through the Bible and live life in the freedom of truth. Yeah.